0: What's most misunderstood about international privacy legislation? Hi, this is Tom Field, Editorial Director with Information Security Media Group. It's my privilege to be speaking today with Miriam Wugmeister. She's an attorney with Morrison & Forrester, LLP. Miriam, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: To start out, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work, please?
1: Sure. Uh, Well, I started out as an employment litigator, and as an employment litigator, We always dealt with some privacy issues, but I really started doing international privacy work in 2000. My work currently involves running large multinational projects where organizations are trying to comply with the laws of 50 or 60 countries all at once and trying to figure out how to do that in a way that's consistent with the laws but also allows them to run their businesses.
0: Well, Miriam, in the U.S. alone, we have, I think, 46 or 48 different privacy legislations among the states. And when you add the international component to it, what do you find that organizations do not understand when they're dealing with such a myriad of laws?
1: So I think the first thing that Americans tend not to understand is that there are really fundamentally different ways in which people think about privacy. In Europe, for example, privacy is considered a fundamental human right. The same way Americans view freedom of the press or the right to freely assemble, other countries view the right to control your personal information, how it's collected, how it's used, and how it's shared, in exactly the same light, just as seriously. Um, and that you have to understand that really different mindset because that informs how the laws are structured, how violations are perceived, and frankly how the regulations are constructed. But, but I think something else that uh, organizations that deal internationally also sometimes fail to appreciate is that there is a great deal in common among the different laws. Uh, we, we certainly see that in the US while we have 46 breach notification laws in 46 states. You, there really are many, many things that are common. In fact, there's more common than different among them. And that's true for international laws as well. Uh, Most of the privacy laws around the world have some very, very similar common principles. They all require that you give notice to individuals. They all require that you keep the data secure. And the goal is to figure out how to find those common elements. But I think that is something that people fail to, to realize as well.
0: Now, I know quite often in the U.S. someone will point to, say, the Massachusetts data Protection Law and say if you're compliant with that, you'll be able to succeed with most any other state in the union. When you're looking at international privacy legislation, is there a standard like that where you can say if you're compliant with that law, you're going to be covered no matter where you are?
1: No. I I wouldn't. I mean, people used to say if I'm complying with any of the EU member state laws, then I'm good everywhere, and that's really not true anymore. So I think the better way to think about it is what are the common elements? What's, what do all the laws that have, that that exist have in common? And if you then, you find those elements and you comply with those elements, then you're 90% of the way. Uh, but it's not that you can say, oh, if I do France, I'm done. Or if I do Korea, I'm done. Or if I do Argentina, I'm done. Because each of them have a great deal in common, but something that's really different or, or missing, uh, when compared to the other ones. So I don't think that just saying, Oh, I'm gonna follow one country's law and think I'm I'm golden is done. The reason that works in the US when you talk about the Massachusetts data security law is because we really only have two states that have data security laws, Massachusetts and Nevada, and Massachusetts is much, much more comprehensive. So yes, if you if you if you in the US, if you comply with Massachusetts, since most of the other states don't have anything on the same subject, sure, you're fine. <laughs> So, but it, that, that doesn't really work internationally.
0: And is it fair to say, Miriam, that this is a moving target as well with you know, a lot of different privacy legislation being proposed in different markets around the world?
1: Definitely. I mean, this is completely up in the air, which is, of course, what makes this area so much fun. Um, there are the the U.S., uh, both the Department of Commerce and the FTC, that. Um, Two of our federal agencies are supposed to be coming out with papers in the next two weeks, which really will crystallize the current thinking of our administration. Um, the EU is undergoing a major review of its legislation. Australia is looking at its, its, registration, at its legislation. Uh, Singapore is looking at its laws. And we have new laws in Malaysia, Taiwan, Peru, Costa Rica, Colombia, just in the last year. So... There's a tremendous amount going on, um, and, and it's not necessarily all moving in the same direction.
0: Well, that feeds into my next question, was when you're looking at this privacy legislation that's proposed, what are some of the key trends that are emerging?
1: So we're definitely seeing greater focus on security, and, and if you think about – the way in which the laws have developed. First, we had laws that said you need to tell people what you're collecting, why you're collecting it, and with whom you're going to share it. Those were sort of the first, call those the notice laws. Then we had laws that said if you have uh, unauthorized access or acquisition to your data, you need to give people notice. You need to tell people about it. Those are the breach notification laws. And then the laws have evolved to a third stage, which is like the Massachusetts law, which says we're not going to wait until you have a breach to deal with it. We're going to tell you by statute exactly what you're supposed to do to protect that data. And I think we're seeing, uh, we're certainly going to see parts of the world, many parts of the world, catch up and draft breach notification laws. I mean, right now, we only have breach notification laws really in a handful of countries, the US, the UAE, Uruguay, Germany, Japan, and Russia. Those are really the only mandatory countries. But I think we're going to see a bunch more um, countries require mandatory breach notification and i also think we're going to see several more countries move into more of the proscriptive legislative um approach which like we have in massachusetts or korea or japan or spain or argentina where we're really saying hey you have to appoint a data security officer and you have to encrypt your data when it's in transit and you have to train your employees You're much more directive in terms of what uh what companies have to do to protect the data. So those are the two big trends I see, breach notification and prescriptive data security laws.
0: Miriam, do you think it's realistic to think that the U.S. is going to have federal legislation that will supersede the different state regulations that have been that have emerged over the past few years?
1: Um, well, not anytime soon. I think for our Congress people, when they go home to their um, – their constituents, and they say, "What are the top ten issues on your mind?" Breach notification at the federal level is not among them. Uh, so I don't think that there is a lot of political will at the moment um, at the federal level to have a, an omnibus data security law or omnibus um, breach notification law. That said, if we have a significant breach at the federal, you know, within the federal government, or we have some additional Significant breaches like we've seen in uh, Sony or some of those, some of the other really big cases we've we've seen this in the past year, we might end up with some kind of um, at least data security law, but I don't I don't think that it much further than that is, we we'll see anything anytime soon.
0: In your experience, where do you see organizations typically trip up when they're dealing with this all this privacy legislation domestically and internationally?
1: So I guess really I see two major problems that uh, companies typically have. One is organizations fail to appreciate the cultural and social differences about the laws, and they tend then to fail to get internal buy-in. So I've seen U.S. companies just take their technology use policy and try and roll that out globally. And, of course, the typical U.S. policy that says we reserve the right to look at your email anytime, anytime we want that's criminal in certain countries if you don't get opt-in consent from individuals. So that's generally not a good idea. And vice versa, I've seen companies, non-U.S. companies, try, try and roll out a European-style notice in the U.S. and try and get consent, and the employees say, I'm not consenting, what are you talking about? So there is there is a, uh, a need to understand the, the differences in the cultural backgrounds and then to build an internal... Um, communications plan and make sure that you understand your, your company and your goals and that you communicate those goals in a way that your audiences in different countries can hear it and, and respond to it in a way that's productive. And the second thing that I see um, companies do, the second the second problem I, that I typically see is that organizations sort of lose the forest for the trees. If you're operating in two or three countries, you can take a country-by-country country approach. You can do what you you know exactly what each country's law requires precisely do you know I'm going to here I'm going to do France and now I'm going to do Japan and now I'm going to do Argentina but if you're operating t- in 10 countries or in 50 countries it's really really hard to do that because most companies have a shared technical infrastructure often companies have a shared management often there's shared succession planning, companies want to be able to centralize data in order to save costs, they want to understand their global trends, they want to make sure that their employees are being tra- treated fairly across the globe. So if you try and do that in 50 countries, uh, 50 separate projects, it's it's so expensive both in terms of the setup and the ongoing administrative costs that it's almost impossible. So uh, what you really need to do is take a much more – global approach the same way I was saying before look for the common elements Um, but that but as opposed to just focusing on all the detail take you know take a step back and and look at at the whole project
0: well Miriam take the flip side of this and how do organizations navigate these waters successfully I'd love to hear especially about how they overcome some of these cultural and social issues and how they can sort of have a macro view without getting caught up in the micro details
1: so one thing, as I just was saying, what you want to do is find the common elements. So, and, and then take take those common elements and build a privacy compliance program around those common elements. So, for example, every law has a notice obligation. So, tell people what you're collecting, why you're collecting it, and with whom you're sharing it. You can you can do that. That's every country's law has that requirement. Give people choice about how their information's being used. Give people access and correction rights that are appropriate to the type of information you're collecting and the purposes for which you're using it. Make sure you have consistent security practices. Make sure that you're supervising your service providers and you have appropriate agreements in place. Those are those elements are found in every single privacy law. And if you if you focus on those, you will have your compliance well in hand and you will really move your privacy program very far forward. I'm not saying that you don't have to comply with the specific obligations under each country's laws. Not by any means. Of course, you have to comply with the specifics. But you, it's, if you start with the big picture first, you reduce your risk. You have a cohesive privacy program, and then you can fill in the specific rules. You can you can fill in on the on the 10%. Um, the other issue with respect to how do you overcome the cultural differences. There A big, big element of that is having support from the top. You have to have the senior people in your organization say that privacy compliance is important and make that part of the corporate culture. If one junior compliance person or one lawyer or one privacy person is trying to run this program globally all by him or herself without the kind of top-level support, it is almost impossible to make it work.
0: It occurs to me that two of the trends that we're seeing globally, one is the increased use of social media, certainly especially in the workplace, and the use of personal mobile devices, the the bring-your-own-device-to-work phenomenon. How are are these trends impacting privacy legislation?
1: Well, what's interesting is I don't think they're impacting privacy legislation. They're certainly impacting privacy, and they're certainly impacting companies. Uh, The issue is that the, the... the technology and the practices are so far ahead of the law. So what ends up happening is that uh, you, you have some kind of a problem and then we're relying on laws that were written before the web existed, before social media existed, before location information existed to try and figure out what the right legal answer is. And that doesn't always work. I mean, there are definitely calls now that we see to update some of the older laws Uh, like the laws in the U.S. that govern the uh, collection and interception of emails and telephone calls. Or uh, in Europe, that's part of the uh, call to rewrite the European directive. It's that it's outmoded by the technology. So social media and mobile devices, I think, present very, very interesting um, and nuanced problems because they tend to cross between privacy laws and employment laws and consumer protection laws. So it's it's this fascinating intersection uh, where you're trying to help people be productive, do their jobs, protect the company, and protect the individuals all at the same time. Um, One of the really interesting discussions that's happening right now is about the right to be forgotten. And what does that mean? How, How would that work in principle? If you post something on a blog through your work or through your private time, and it's now public information. If you change your mind and you don't want that to be available anymore, you go to the company where you posted that blog and say, take that down. If if there were such a right, a right to be forgotten, how would that company execute that request? How do you remove something from the blogosphere? Right now, there's no way to do it. But people are talking about that as a right. And so if that becomes a statutory right, which they're talking about in Europe, the right to be forgotten. We have no technology at the moment to implicate, it, to you know, to give that effect. So that, that those those issues between the technology and the law, and which way, which is leading which, is uh, is really um,
0: fascinating. So we've got emerging technology and we've got evolving legislation. Given that moving landscape. What's your bottom line advice to organizations that are looking for the smoothest sailing possible when it comes to navigating through international privacy legislation?
1: Well, it's the same thing. Find the commonalities among the laws and focus on those elements first, and that should be the core part of your privacy program. And then turn to the trickier issues. If you've given people notice, for example, about what you're going to do with their data, then how that applies in the specific issues of social media or mobile devices or in the computer at work, are going to be tweaks to your basic principle that you're going to give people notice. If you just try and treat each one of those separately, oh, my God, I've got to worry about social media, oh, my God, I've got to worry about mobile devices, oh, my God, I've got to worry about computers, you're going to triple the work. So my first piece of advice is find the common core elements and focus on those. And the second is don't forget that there are other laws (laughs) and that other people take seriously because... If, if we, as a, if you're working in the U.S. for the U.S. parent and you roll out a policy globally, let's say on the right to look at mobile devices, you may cause your colleagues in other countries to be violating the law, and we, we tend to, to try to avoid that.
0: Very good. Miriam, I appreciate your time and your insight today. Thank you so much. You're welcome. We've been talking about privacy legislation. I've been talking with Miriam Wugmeister. She's an attorney with Morrison & Forrester, LLP. For information, Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.